Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 91 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is... The weird mathematical episode, because it turns out that the number 91 is a triangular, a hexagonal, and a square pyramidal number. I have no idea what any of that shit is. Just sounds badass. I got a buddy of mine, he's really into math and stuff, and so I thought perhaps he would enjoy hearing that little bit of mathematical knowledge. Does he listen to the show? No. Oh, so he won't actually hear it. Well, I figure maybe if we get enough attention to these kinds of things that he will. Much akin to uh, Dave Grohl when he did the uh, Hey Jack Mason or something song, uh, which actually has nothing to do with anybody or he just titled that song so that his best friend from high school would see that the song was titled that and then maybe reach out to the band because he wanted to catch up with him. Oh, really? Yeah. Actually, I am unfamiliar with that story. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I'm just trying to do my own Foo Fighter kind of thing. Why not? Uh, Foo Fighter. Yeah. At any rate, so I'm Matt. And I am annoyed by by the amount of noise that's coming through these walls. It is so annoying. It, you're trying to record at eight eighteen, well eight twenty eight p.m. on a Monday evening, and yet there's there's just all this all this stuff coming in, and hopefully it's not uh, annoying the listener. Or hell will be paid to that dog. All of our listener, I hope, is not annoyed. I, for whatever it's worth, I don't really hear anything. Don't worry, the dog will be dead by tomorrow morning. I assure you that. <laughs> so, what, did you do anything fun? Today is Labor Day, of course, 1st of September 2014. And we, of course, are still the SLS cast. And, you know, check us out, slscast.com, and send us an email, the show, all one word, the show at slscast.com. Or, so, you know, hit us up on Twitter at the SLS cast. Hit me up on Twitter at nittwit12345. I don't know. Am I forgetting anything? I hope not. Good lord, I know that was a lot. It takes like three minutes to get through it. Yeah, it does. It does. There has to be like a more of like a condensed way to go through it. I, I have know? no idea. Oh yeah, don't forget subscribe to us on iTunes and favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So what'd you do for Labor Day, sir? I did oh, nothing. Oh yeah, so Labor Day. Uh, we Well, we decided to uh, go out of town for Labor Day. And so Friday, or actually on uh, on Wednesday at the last minute, we thought, hey, let's go to San Luis... Abispo, which is pretty much like right as center as you can get in California for the most part. It's right above Santa Barbara and Solvang, and it's below Big Sur and Santa Cruz. And so we went up there Friday afternoon because, you know, a lot of people get off of work a little bit early on Friday. And we had Monday off, so we thought, what the hell? So we got there Friday night, did a lot of hiking, and man, I gotta say, San Luis Obispo, absolutely gorgeous. And on top of that, San Luis Obispo introduced me to a $6 Crown and Sprite, or Crown and Coke, or Crown and whatever uh, mixture you would want to include with that Crown drink. And you cannot get that anywhere else, especially, well, at least in L.A. you can get that anywhere else. So apparently only in 
<laughs> from Central California and up, you can actually get a $6 crown and whatever. So, highly enjoyable weekend, I must say. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. I I uh, didn't do anything today, but that's just because I was recovering from grilling last night, whereupon I decided to drink myself into oblivion, apparently, and uh, grilled many turkey tenderloins and hamburgers and hot dogs and all sorts of fun things. You grew it or you grilled it? Grilled it. It, it sounded a little bit like grow from, from over here. Ah, well, which it, it I, was I, grilled. I mean, a grill would be pretty. Pretty sure it sense. was grilled. Could have been grew or grown or growed, but it meant to be grilled. It should have been grilled, and I imagine I did grill it. I would hope so. Indeed, sounds like we have been living some very exciting lives, and we should probably not subject people to them anymore. <laughs> exactly, or more awkward pauses <laughs> filled with what sounds like the back of a Mexican kitchen. There you go. Coming from my outside of my room. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my Things God. are like dropping and falling to a floor, which it's really loud. Right on. Okay, well then let me go ahead and uh, lead into our real news with this news of the weird that I have for you. This is uh, from foxnews.com and uh, a, a courtesy of foxnews.com apparently. Uh, Hello Kitty, not a cat, company says. Or... <laughs> Is she? Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. See, this is only what you thought you knew. For 40 years, her face has adorned backpacks and lunchboxes, jewelry and theme restaurants, TV shows, and even laptops. Hello Kitty has long been a staple of Japanese pop culture, but for decades, one expert says, the world has been under a false impression. Hello Kitty, despite having a name that's 50% devoted to the term that refers to a young cat, is no feline. She is, rather, a little girl, the Los Angeles Times reports. Quote, she's never depicted on all fours, end quote, from, this is from Christine Ariano, an anthropologist with the University of Hawaii, who is a curator of a Hello Kitty retrospective at the Japanese American National Museum in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, quote, she is a little girl, she is a friend, but she is not a cat, end quote. Um, yeah, it, it seems that it's not a matter of opinion, because when she was preparing written texts for the museum's exhibit, she made the mistake of referring to Hello Kitty as, well, a cat. It turns out it's a wrong answer. I was, uh, quote, I was corrected very firmly... That's one correction Sanrio, the company that owns the character, made for my script for the show. End quote. Was your mind blown? My mind you heard that? was completely blown. Uh, but they are currently now, apparently Sanrio is now currently trying to backtrack by saying that Hello Kitty is personification of a cat? Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. It's like getting out of it. But um, now that we don't know whether or not she's she's a cat anymore, uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently she's British. She's a Scorpio. She loves apple pie. She has a twin sister and is a perpetual third grader. And her actual name is Kitty White. Wait, is this... This is real? Yes, this is real. Why is she British? I thought, isn't that like a Japanese uh, character? Apparently back in the 70s, 
when uh, Hello Kitty was first created, that was kind of like the pop culture thing for Japanese people to do. They were really into British culture, and so they created this British cat. Or um, really? non-cat. Cat personification of cat. And, yeah. So, there you go. This is just news of the weird. Does that make, like, the like girl's obsession with Hello Kitty weirder or more <laughs> more weird or less weird I, I really don't know i don't know either that's why i like calling this one specifically news of the weird yeah no shit man uh at any rate Kitty? would you God. like to get to the real news such as it is apparently yeah i, I really don't know how much more real it will get after this to be yeah. honest all right well <laughs> then let's <laughs> well let's get down to business folks here it is the news oh my goodness all right well i'm gonna go ahead and go first because i think due to some uh technical errors with internet issues i'm gonna have more news than tim so i'm gonna go ahead and go first uh, first up for me from comicbook.com, courtesy of Joe Comic Book, Wesley Snipes reportedly returning for a fourth Blade movie. Recently, Wesley Snipes expressed interest in returning for another Blade movie. Snipes told MTV, quote, yeah, I'd be open to it. I think we've got some stones left unturned, and there's some latitude for us to build on. I'd love to get back in the suit again and do some things that I've learned how to do now that I didn't know how to do then. I think we're better at making that kind of film now. End quote. And the New York Daily News is also now reporting that Snipes is indeed going to reprise his role as Blade. According to the newspaper, Snipes will make $3 million for a fourth Blade film plus a cut of the profits. Is that a good thing? I mean, do you think that's, that's cool? or I don't know, because it's kind of weird. It seems that, though, okay, the studio that made the first three blade movies doesn't have the right no longer has the rights to the character and because it's been so long the rights for blade reverted back to marvel studios i so i'm not even sure if marvel will let this deal go but if they do i don't know after blade trinity i just i just don't know <laughs> nope that that's it that's it is he set in the i mean i don't know but is he like set in the avengers universe they're trying to make the marvel marvel universe all one and the same strictly speaking strictly speaking no they're 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 not but yes but you could now do that sure let's let's just go ahead and have some fun and do that anyway <sighs> you know what do you got sir all right first up for me is from the hollywood reporter the <laughs> Is from the HollywoodReporter.com, and it's an article written by Pamela McClintock entitled Box Office Crash What Caused Hollywood's Miserable Summer? Question mark. And it says this It's official! North American summer revenue barely cracks $4 billion, an eight year low, and down 15% from 2013. To understand the upside-down summer at the box office, consider that Sony's 22 Jump Street, made for about $50 million, ended up grossing nearly as much in North America as The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the studio's $200 million-plus temple that represents the type of movie on which Hollywood long has relied to drive summer slates. 
22 Jump Street earned $193.3 million domestically versus $202.8 million for the Spider-Man sequel. All the usual rules were tossed out as comedies, female-fueled films in the Guardians of the Galaxy, the season's top-grossing title despite being released in the dog days of August, were left to make up for underperforming franchise picks. Ultimately, it comes down to content, and the content just wasn't as good as it has been in previous years, says entertainment analyst Eric Handler of MKM Partners. Adds one studio executive, many of the temp pulls that underperformed were more of the same in way too long. People ate up Guardians because it was a departure from the norm. Domestic revenue from May 2nd through Labor Day came in at an estimated $4.05 billion, an 8-year low, when accounting for inflation, a 17-year low. Moreover, revenue was down 15% from last summer's record $4.75 billion, while attendance tumbled more than 5%. Not one film has crossed $300 million domestically for the first time since 2001. Though Guardians of the Galaxy will ultimately reach that mark, its domestic cum is just north of $280 million. And the article goes on from there. So pretty much as what they were saying, people are just tired of these big movies. You know, I mean, not necessarily big movies, but you see the same superhero movies. I mean, there's only so much you can do with a super, with a superhero, with the superhero genre to keep it, you know, it's difficult to keep that feeling fresh. And that is kind of how the Spider-Man franchise has been, you know, faulting a little bit. Yes, the sequel was, at least to me, it was much more entertaining than the first one. But yet, it still lacked, say, what uh, Guardians of the Galaxy had. You see, what made Guardians great is that it had the action, it had the spectacle, it had the comedy, it had the heart. And, you know, all in all, it was a pretty damn good movie. It was an awfully damn good movie. It was a damn good movie, uh, really. And I, I think, honestly, that's what it lacks, Summer movies as a whole is spectacle, and though 22 Jump Street isn't necessarily a spectacle, it was something that was fresh, and it was just, all in all, it was just a fun movie. What do you think, Matt? I mean, do you agree, disagree? For lackluster box office performance? Yes. I think it's a it's a conflux of issues, right? Conflux is the right word? I don't know. There's more than one thing going on here. Rising ticket prices, um, and too much product you have um, and and also too much product creating buyer fatigue you can only have so many blockbusters in a row that people not you and me will go and see exactly I mean, I, you know it busts my bank to try to do this show uh, because of having to spend ten dollars a pop on a movie and then sometimes with the summer you have to see two and three movies a week i mean that quickly becomes a hundred dollars a month without even breaking a sweat yeah and on top of that a number of those movies aren't really worth it yeah so and so that you have that so i mean i think it's just rising movie prices and you have too much product it creates buyer fatigue they just can't see all the movies you you literally need to back off some and let smaller movies in so that people will go and see those let them do modest business and brisk business just to, and then 
bring back your tent poles. You got too many damn tent poles. You know, the, the, your tent's too big. <laughs> Make the, you know, the, the, the tent's so big now, you need all these tent poles, and there's still not enough to fill it. Whether or not the movies themselves are worth it, I, I would agree with what you were saying, that the fun, inventive stuff will do better than, um, than the same old, same old. Right, and I also kind of think with uh, with some superhero movies, uh, I've talked to some people where it's like, oh, hey, are you going to go see such and such? And they're like, nah, there's going to be another one. I'll just wait and see the other one. I'm not going to really be missing out a whole lot. So I think there's also uh, that as well, just people feeling that they really don't have to see one movie to see its sequel, or, say, a Marvel movie. You know, you really don't have to see, say... Captain America to really to go see the Avengers if that's what you're really looking forward to seeing. Uh, sure. And that's also kind of seems like what people are, how people are feeling. And because they are now pushing day and date uh, releases on Blu-ray and stuff, you can go, as soon as a movie comes out, I get emails from Amazon. Hey! Uh, you know, this movie just came out. Be the first to pre-order on Blu-ray for this date. Oh, well, geez, look, that's three months from now. I'm just gonna go ahead and wait. I mean, they're they're hitting you on so many fronts. It's like, do you want me to buy the Blu-ray or do you want me to go see it in the theater? If you want me to do both, you're pressing your luck. Because the best you're going to do is get one or the other. So, yeah. I don't know. Let's do something not comic book related at all. Let's see here. Or sequel related. Aha! Tired of them? Or do you just not want to participate in the comic book related topic no it just seems like good god there's nothing else but sequels and reboots and uh, so i it's tiring you. man it's, it's, it's yeah. crazy i mean it's news it's strictly speaking it's newsworthy but uh, again fatigue i am fatigued exactly that's another thing that kind of pisses me off with uh like doing research for the episode it's like not if i don't read 30 articles about Marvel or whatever superhero movie that is not coming out for another four years or five years or six years or even seven years. It's reading about Star Wars movies that aren't going to be coming out for another six years, seven years, or eight years. It's, it's so stupid, man. Sure. Well, you know what? Fine. Then let's just take this moment to break away. We talked about this a little bit before. The, the fappening. Okay, now the fappening is something that happened here. Uh, basically, some hackers got into the iCloud and were able to get a whole bunch of celebrity nudes and movies from people like Jennifer Lawrence and Vanessa Hudgens and uh, Kate Upton and all these other people. But these are literally from their phones, so these things are legit. Um, it was all over, I'm sure if you, it's been all over social media today. And by the time you listen to this episode, I'm sure there are probably people out there who will have viewed said images. Um, and so I think that we were, as we were talking about this before, I think it's kind of interesting that we are now still in a day and age where people don't understand you can't take a picture with a cell phone that's attached to the internet and then expect to re and, and reasonably expect for it to stay to stay private um it also says to us that cloud technologies are now hackable for sure and there were some reports 
completely unconfirmed that were saying that the hackers were able to get all these Wi-Fi passwords and everything based on a hacked Wi-Fi that was like at the Academy Awards or the Emmys or something like that, where all these people were. Um, I mean, as as I'm sure young men and women are want to do, they'll be filling up the spank bank with all these images and everything, but... I don't know. What, what do you think about this wonderful development in the world of technology, sir? You know, I'm with you for the most part. I wouldn't do something like that because uh, especially with uh, with emerging filmmakers or, or emerging actors and actresses, CD-list actors, there are people that that have like face recognition technology that can go through and collect a big database full of people's pictures, whether from uh, webcams that they've hacked or webcams that other people have hacked, and they can do like a face, like face-to-face, like composite or whatever, to find these uh, people's faces and you know try to match them up to the to celebrities or emerging celebrities and all this stuff just for. For not well, I mean, I guess it could be for naughty uh, reasons, or even for blackmail and stuff like that. I'm sure a lot of that stuff does go on that you don't hear about. And I think with this particular instance, I fall into the category or into the mindset of yes, if you have all that stuff available online on the cloud, prepare for it to get hacked, or the possibility is really high if uh, if you are a star, a hot commodity star, star like. Uh, like uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Kate Upton. Beautiful, good-looking, more than likely people are going to try to see your shit, whatever it may be. Now, it's their right to do it. There is nothing illegal with what they are doing. So I am on their side. That's why I would have to defend them in saying that, you know, the hackers... And I know, I know you are... Not defending the hackers. Absolutely. Oh, of course not. Yeah, I mean, this. In no way do we condone what the hackers have done. I mean, sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, though I can see where you're coming from, having that out there, you have to prepare for the possibility of that happening. The hackers are going out of their way, and they are working to do this. You know, it's not like it's like, oh, hey, I came across this type of thing. And I mean, even if they did come or just randomly come across it, that obviously doesn't make it right. Sure. Oh, I, of course I, really not. I guess my thing is, is that sure. And of course, you are absolutely 100% free to do whatever it is that you want to do with your body, your life, your soul. And I mean, that's sure. And if you want to take pictures and uh, nudie pictures and send them to your then boyfriends, then husbands, then girlfriends, whatever, or current husbands, boyfriends, etc. Um, that That's totally cool. But uh, and, and yeah, and, and you have the right to do that, but I think it's just, it really is an exercise in futility to expect that people won't find them. I mean, I, I was joking around earlier, but I, I, I literally, I mean, about the best thing you can do nowadays is just, you know, go find a Polaroid and use a Polaroid camera and you know, do it that way. Because then at least you know, until somebody scans the Polaroid, you're in good shape. You know, you can hold them, give them to somebody. Uh, if you're willing to try mail it to somebody and and there you go. But I, I just, yeah. and it, But it's true of anybody. I think it's completely foolish to do that now. I, I really think that it's that we have as a, a, a 
in in this particular instance, I think tech, technology has gone ahead of people's common sense. You know, but hackers bad, porn addicts will be happy, and life will go on. So since we got sidetracked there, I guess uh, altpress.com, courtesy of Matt Crane. <laughs> Uh, a, a Martin Scorsese film about the Ramones is in the works. Uh, following the death of iconic drummer Tommy Ramone, the owners of the Ramones estate have announced some big plans for the band's legacy going forward, including a film directed by Martin Scorsese. Billboard reports that other Ramones projects coming include a documentary, theatrical play, book, reissues, fashion, and, quote, music placement, end quote. Huh. What do you, um what do you think sir? Do you think this is just uh opportunism or is, is it is it long overdue? Well, like a uh, long overdue as in we've ne- we've been needing a good film, needing a good documentary. I think we've been needing a good documentary on him for a while. A sure, film Sure, yeah, I mean I I think any good performer band actor whatever i i think any anybody really like i guess even prolific in the punk rock movement deserves a good documentary and hey you know martin scorsese uh, not only does he make good movies good feature films but he makes really good feature documentaries also so and we all know that he loves music and he loves uh rock and roll and he loves uh movies and he loves telling a good story so i think uh, i think this will be pretty cool outstanding all right well what else do you have for us sir well, I guess I'll go ahead and close out my news with uh, this from the HollywoodReporter.com again. California Senate passes $330 million in annual film and TV incentives. And this is what it says. It is expected to be passed by the State Assembly as well on Friday or over this weekend. Friday being this past Friday and, the, and over this weekend being this past weekend. Governor Jerry Brown is then expected to sign the bill, probably in the middle of September. The bill was expected to pass after a deal was made in the past week between legislative leaders and Brown. It is seen as not only a major increase over the current $100 million a year, but also a bill that provides transparency, accountability, and one that can really result in saving and growing jobs. Senate President Pro Tem-Elect... That's Tim, not Tim, not pro-Tim-elect, Kevin DeLeon, DLA, who has been a driving force in shaping and pushing the legislation, was among the first to speak in the Senate on behalf of the bill. He noted that studies show for every job created in the entertainment industry, at least 2.7 other jobs are created in the state. Not all agreed. Senator Lois Wolk said that she was against it because she feels the money could be better used elsewhere. However, as a vote showed, the majority supported the bill. Unlike previous efforts to pass similar bills, this time it was a bipartisan effort for the most part, and had support from legislators from both Northern and Southern California. In his final summation, DeLeon called it a strategic investment in jobs and the California economy. This adds to the economy, DeLeon told his fellow senators, and has a very powerful economic impact. DeLeon called the bill a smart, efficient, and robust tax credit that will help stop jobs that are hammer-hanging, hammer-hanging, hammer-hagging, hammer-haging. I've never seen this word ever in my life. Hemorrhaging? 
H e m o r r h a g i n g. Yeah, hemorrhaging. Really? Yeah, like when you're hemorrhaging. I've never blood, seen it spelled you know, out. Is it? Yeah, it's hemorrhaging. <laughs> uh, that will help stop jobs that are hemorrhaging from the state. There have been questions over the years whether this is a Hollywood-only bill, said Senator Alex Padilla during the pre-vote debate. This helps that community and surrounding communities, and frankly, it is not just about Hollywood. This expansion of the film and TV tax credit is a huge victory for Californians. Our industry produces so many great jobs for California, especially the, the people, the accountants, the special effects, you name it. We must do everything possible to keep these creative people fueling our economy. And the article goes there. And again, that tax incentive was for $330 million going to film and television production. I gotta say, uh, being in the industry and keeping up with the industry and reading the the you know the trade or the papers you know and uh, seeing how business is you know has significantly decreased from hollywood not decreased from hollywood but uh, uh, comp- uh productions have left hollywood and gone to other states for these tax incentives it will be nice having them back because hollywood la was for the longest time fueled by hollywood i mean not just the gold rush but there was a time when all every every movie you saw, for the most part, was made here in Hollywood, made and distributed out of Hollywood. Not only am I saying that because I think that movies should stay in Hollywood. No, you know, of course, movies should obviously be made elsewhere. And you know, New York has a strong film community, and I think it would be foolish to say that all this stuff should only be here in L.A. But it's definitely a fair assessment to think that LA should be, should have offered these incentives for the longest time and hopefully um, with all the states that are getting rid of the incentives hopefully we'll be able to bring some of that business back so we'll see how how that all pans out let's see here I think we can just close out the news overall with this one here um, coming to us from slashfilm.com courtesy of Angie Han. Looney Tunes movie coming from X-Men First Class writer Steve Carell attached to Star. Oh, I know, you're thinking to yourself, really? Really? But yes, really. With every other classic property making its way to the big screen, you didn't think Warner Brothers' Looney Tunes would get left out, did you? That's because a new Looney Tunes movie called Acme is in the works, with Steve Carell already attached to Star. X-Men First Class scribes Ashley Miller and Zack Stentz are writing the script, and Carell's crazy stupid love helmers Glenn Picara and John Rickwa are in early talks to direct. Plot specifics on Acme are being kept under wraps, though the informal title itself is a clue. The fictional Acme Corporation is famous within the Looney Tunes universe for manufacturing all sorts of ridiculous products that have a tendency to backfire, just as Wile E. Coyote is about to capture the Roadrunner. However, Hollywood Reporter reports that the new film will not center around any familiar Looney Tunes characters. Variety even describes it as a spinoff. Naturally, Warner Brothers hopes the CG live-action hybrid will launch a new franchise. They'll get some help on that front from producers Dan Lin and Roy Lee, who also worked on this year's smash hit, The Lego Movie. So, um, even the original idea from the, uh, for the development of the project came back in 2010, and that, those were from uh, that actual pitch was from Kevin and Dan Hagman, who actually helped write the Lego movie. 
So if you like the Lego movie, it looks like you've got some good early signs that at least they've got some original and exciting plans for that. I'm not so sure I'm I'm sold on the idea of no one from the original team of Looney Tunes being involved, i.e. the characters, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Knowing this information that I know, I'm willing to give it a shot. What about you, Tim? You, When I first told you about this, you were kind of like bemoaning, but now that you know a little bit more, are you a little less trepidatious? Well, whenever you said Steve Carell was in, I originally thought, well, is Steve Carell going to be the voice of Bugs Bunny? But then now you say it's going to be a CGI action or a CGI live action hybrid. Then I wonder, why is it they have to make a CGI, uh, CGI and live action hybrid and not just, you know, Looney Tunes movie without real people in it? I mean, don't you think that maybe they can helm their own flick without the help of... I have no idea. I mean, let's face some facts here. Given that, you know, 60% of all of every movie virtually it seems is uh is filmed in front of a blue screen, you everybody's already CG live action hybrid. So why not with this movie too? So Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Well, we'll I guess we'll see how it goes as it turns out. So yeah. uh, I bet if Spun- the new SpongeBob movie, I bet if that one does not do well, they will probably scrap this idea. It's entirely possible. I could see that for sure. All right. Well, then I guess that's going to go ahead and close out the news. I guess, are you ready for our rather inventive special segment this week? Let's do it. All right. This one here is called Ultimate. Yes, this is, we were initially trying for a movie that we both thought should have been fantastic, but was a smelly stinker. Unfortunately, because of our very diverse opinions, for the most part, there was never, there's not really a movie that we could think of, even after a week, <laughs> and sitting around together tonight, free show, for like half an hour, <laughs> that we could both say, Man, we were really looking forward to this movie. Or man, we thought this movie was going to be fantastic and should have been. And that no, so we're just each going to go ahead and do our own movie, <laughs> and we'll try again whenever we can think of one. Uh, Tim, why don't you go ahead, sir? I had more news than you. I'm sure people are tired of me talking, so go ahead. Okay, so at the time, one of my one of the most exciting filmmakers that I was really looking forward to seeing their their work flourish was uh, Zack Snyder. And after he did Dawn of the Dead, the remake Dawn of the Dead, which I me and many other people thoroughly enjoyed, and especially after his success with Watchmen, which for those of you who, uh, or for the one person who might listen to the show, so you might know that one of my all-time favorite comic book movies is, in fact, Watchmen. And I gotta say, Zack Snyder had made a unmakeable film. But, I mean, I loved the movie, and I loved what he did. I loved the tone of it. I loved the action. I loved the dialogue. I just loved every single aspect of that movie. I can, The movie is really long. I own the Ultimate Edition which is hours long. (laughs) Hours. Three plus hours. And 
I can watch it all the time. I love it that much. And so, of course, when 2011's Sucker Punch came out, I thought, this looks pretty cool. You know, the whole idea of a little girl being sent to, uh, or no, I shouldn't say little girl, this young girl being sent to this, I guess, asylum would be the best way to uh, to describe it. And within that asylum, in order to overcome all the, the horrors that happen to her within that asylum, she creates this imaginative, imaginative world where she and uh, all the other girls that are in this asylum with her basically just taking on this fantasy world. I mean, you have stuff that is reminiscent of of World War One, World War Two, even uh, you've got these big samurai, this big samurai, big like monster-looking thing, uh, dragons. You got flying crafts. You, they're in like B-52s and bombers and all this stuff. And you know, they're for the most part, they're they're chicks that are just kicking some ass. And that, and you're really, and uh, you go into it understanding that okay, well, she's creating this world to put up with all the crap that she has to deal with. Or in order to, uh, I guess, successfully live her days out while she's putting up with this crap uh, at this asylum. And you think, you know what, it's going to make with a great uh, contrast between the dreamlike sequences and what is actually going on with her. And to where maybe there's going to be some kind of uh, emotional arc to the story, emotional arc to the character, you know, something... You know, there's going to be uh, a connection between you and the and the main girl, and uh, j- just all this jazz, you know. And they keep talking about like how oh, John Hamm is in the movie, and so and so is in the movie. Oh, and like look at these great. Oh, and uh, uh, Zack Snyder and his wife were the two that came up with the idea of this movie. And Zack Snyder not only did he direct the movie, but he also uh, wrote the movie as well. Needless to say. I did not enjoy the movie as much as I was expecting. On Rotten Tomatoes, it holds 23%, and this is why it's technically impressive and loaded with eye-catching images, but without characters or a plot to support them, all of Sucker Punch's visual thrills are for naught. Yes, hour and 50-minute PG-13 movie that ultimately goes nowhere. Again, concept is a really cool idea. Really, really, really cool idea. You can look at it, oh, it's like Alice in Wonderland. It's a, it's like a remake, action, out-of-this-world remake of Alice in Wonderland. And just the execution of the movie was poor. I mean, you couldn't figure out how the hell they were trying to link the dreamlike sequences, which were, for the most part, phenomenal. You know, well-made, very engaging, fun to watch, but you had to put up with these scenes going on, you know, in the real world scenes, I guess, what's going on, uh, you know, with her in the asylum before you get to these act- the, the, the fun action, the entertainment, the spectacle, I guess. And what's weird is in order for her to go into her dreamlike state, you know, in order to go past like the bullying or whatever she has to go through, I, I haven't seen this movie since I've I, watched it in 2011 she does this like how like maybe how i would think maybe a stripper would start off a very seductive dance where she's like swaying and then touching herself and then all of a sudden bam she's in this fantasyful world full with giant samurai men b-52 bombers and uh, a lot of guns and yeah I, i a lot of people like this movie 
a lot of people do. But it lacks the heart that Watchmen had, or you could say maybe the anti-heart, the anti-matter that Watchmen had that made it such a powerful movie. And this movie could have been at, at least on the same level, if not maybe a couple notches down, a couple levels down, which still would have been a really good movie. And it's just sad. And ever since then, Zack Snyder has been going downhill for me. Then again, Zack Snyder did not come up with the concept of Dawn of the Dead. That was George A. Romero. And he did not come up with the concept of Watchmen, which was, of course, written by Alan Moore. And so he had a foundation to produce really good movies. And it's there. You know, his talent is there. It's just... It's just just, just way he Michael, he Michael Bayed himself. He Michael Bayed all over himself with this movie. So, Sucker Punch was the movie that turned out to be a smelly stinker in my mind. You may only listen to this if you have seen this movie. If you have not seen this movie, then you will need to skip about five minutes ahead. Because I don't want to ruin it for you. Because the only way I can do this properly is to completely spoil the ending. So, move along. Move along. In the words of Ferris Bueller, What are you still doing here? Go like five minutes ahead already. Alright, so my movie is 2010's Buried. And this is the one that stars Ryan Reynolds and only Ryan Reynolds. You hear a few other voices, like the amazing Stephen Tublowowski, uh, but only over the phone. And he... Ryan Reynolds is a guy who wakes up in a box buried in the desert. And he's got to figure out just exactly what he's doing there, why he's there, and how to get away. This movie, I was really, really looking forward to this movie. And it was a very, very interesting movie. Um... And I was totally blown away by this movie until the end. And it, because in the end, he dies. Now, this is what made... The, and his death is what makes the movie, for me, an ultimate letdown. Because I am okay. Believe it or not, I am okay. Sometimes the bad guys win. Sometimes the hero dies. Sometimes, you know, things just don't work out the way they're supposed to work out. I, I get that. But when you go on the kind of journey that you have to go on to, to, to experience this movie and the close quarters that it was brilliantly filmed in. I'm sorry, this was just amazing direction from Rodrigo Cortez. Uh, this was actually shot in Spain. Uh, and amazing cinematography. given Because you're in a box. So this is from Edward uh, Grau you are still just left spellbound with the claustrophobia, but you still aren't claustrophobic. So you, you just get this amazing story, brilliantly acted, excellently paced, nail-biter all the way to the end, and you go through all this, all everything, and you're, you're led all the way to the end, and you're just, oh my god, and then he dies. And I just... you. When you when you go with someone on this kind of a journey, and you are that much emotionally invested into it, I think it's not about sometimes the bad guys win as much as it is intentionally pulling the rug out from underneath you, 
And that's what makes it such a letdown for me. It's still a great movie, despite the ending. I, I mean, I just the ending just totally ruined, totally ruins it. But at the same time, it's still a great movie. But it was just an ultimate letdown. And that's it. That is it. Buried. 2010's Buried, starring Ryan Reynolds. Directed by Rodrigo Cortez. Sad. The the lone Indian tear is going down my my eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And you can also go back, because I know we covered this on the show... Golly gee willikers, probably about a year ago, I want to say. Maybe even a little bit longer than that. When we but talked about Buried, that was three years ago. Was it? Was it three years ago? Three years ago. Oh my goodness. I thought that we only did this one last year. Okay, well, there no. you go. So apparently it was three years ago. And there you have it. All right. So that takes us out of that one there. Uh, next week, um, I don't know. What do you want to do, Tim? You want to do a three squared next week? Sure, yeah, unless uh, you have something you want to talk about. Nah, not that I can think of. I'm, I'm down. What would you like to do with three squared on? What's something? Oh, you, you know what would be fun for hmm. a three squared? Sure. I, what I, if I, we... I don't. Uh, uh, well, I, a year ago, <laughs> or a year-ish ago, we chose... Because uh, you mis- mentioned Steve uh, Tobolowsky. Mm-hmm. What if we chose uh, another actor, another uh, actor that we all know but we don't know, and three movies that best represents them? Okay, are we going to choose said actor right now, or are we going to each come up with an actor and surprise them next week? Bob Gunton. Bob Gunton. Yes, look, look him up. I am looking him up here. Bob Gunton. G-U-N-T-O-N. Oh my god, of course. The For, for anybody who needs help, he was the evil warden in the Shawshank Redemption. Yes. There you go. Oh my god, this is going to be great. I already know some of the stuff that I want to do for him. Okay, cool. Yay! How fun. All right, so our favorite films, our three favorite films from Bob Gunton. Next week on through uh, next week's bonus segment for 3 squared. And that brings us to the movie. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. So the movies this week are Sharknado 2, the second one, Stage Fright from 2014, and The Trip to Italy, which is a sequel to The Trip uh, from 2010. Where where would you like to start, sir? How about Sharknado 2, the All second right. one? Sharknado 2, the second one. This, of course, is following the surprise hit Sharknado, uh, which in its absurdity uh, and its admitted absurdity, it became an international hit and has spawned this sequel. They even released it in theaters, the first one. No, it was always on sci-fi. Well, yeah, yeah, but then after, uh, then like a couple weeks later, they put it out in movie theaters. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so again, we had uh, this, this uh, uh, Sharknado 2, again, was also sci-fi. As a matter of fact, spoiler alert, there's going to be a third one. Ah, it's supposed to come out like July of next year. Um, all right, so we've got Tara Reid, Ian Ziering, Vivica A. Fox, all here in this one, and... As I understand, yeah, they, they were in the first one, weren't they? 
Yes. Yeah, they yeah. were in the first one. Okay. Yeah. And um, at least the two white people, right? Tara Reid and Ian Ziering were in Sharknado, and they they are back for Sharknado too. And this one here is actually full of celebrity cameos, all the way from uh, uh, Kelly Ripa, all the way down to uh, Jared from Subway. In every generation, there's a cinematic event that changes everything. This is unprecedented. A phenomenon that challenges the social norm. I've never seen anything like this. A spectacle that brings people together while taking the world by storm. If you are told to evacuate, make sure that you seek shelter. They say lightning never strikes twice. Ah, f*** it. Who are we kidding? Let's go kill some sharks! It's happening again. You really think there's going to be one of those shock storms here? Yes! I'm not crazy. People have to know the truth before it happens again. Welcome to New York. It's like he knew who I was. This is the Big Apple. Something bites us, we bite back. I was with you once, and I'm not going to do it again. Let the fireworks begin! Holy shark. They're sharks. They're scary. No one wants to get eaten. But I've been eaten. And I'm here to tell you, it takes a lot more than that to bring a good man down. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more than that to bring a New Yorker down. Yeah. You know what you just did, don't you? Jump the shark. Sharknado 2, the second one. Yeah, uh, so this one kind of picks up after the first one. Chick has written a book. And then, of course, they end up landing into a multiple Sharknado um, <laughs> and just the re- retardedness ensues for the next 90 minutes. And we get every, we are treated to everything from multiple Sharknados to frozen Sharknados to Tara Reed uh, becoming like Bruce Campbell in Army of Darkness. Um, yeah, to literally, and this is what I thought was great. They literally jump the shark. And I, I mean, like, they're literally jumping sharks to, like, escape from the Sharknado in certain scenes. Yeah, this movie is terrible, but it is it is terrible in the best way. It's intentionally bad. There is no way to actually make this uh, a justifiable movie uh, in terms of anything redeemable, other than they know it's a bad movie, and they're just loving it, you know. They they might as well called it Sharknado 2. Terrible and loving it. Um, so it's fun to watch. Terrible CGI. Completely horrible effects. Terrible acting. Um, and yet, because of it being so self-aware, it was still fun. Three stars. Nothing spectacular. I liked it. Um, yeah. Three stars. I'm done. I li- Okay, I enjoyed the first one because I had no idea. I was going based off of... The title itself, Sharknado. And you go in there and you watch it, and the movie was just about people running away from a Sharknado, uh, starting in Santa Monica and going all through Hollywood, pretty much. 
And that and, and it was and it had a couple story elements that were pretty entertaining to watch. I'm not just talking about entertaining for comedic sake. Though it's a really crappy movie, it's kind of inventive and, and, it, and it makes it makes it a, more of a fun experience. I say all that very loosely, <laughs> for sure. But the second one, they just went way too big. And with it being on way too grand of scale, and there, uh, if this movie was made for $100 million, $200 million, you would have been able to see all the cool stuff that they're referencing. Or, for example, when Ian Ziering is jumping the sharks, it, it does like these cuts to where it just cut it pretty much like within like a second, he jumps the sharks and finally he's over there. And you kind of see him step on something only by what he says and that it's in the water and it's gray and it looks like a shark, you know he's jumping on a shark. There's a lot of that throughout the movie and it's obvious that they spent a lot of time on the beginning of the movie and a lot of time with the end of the movie because that's when you see a lot of ridiculous shit happening. That's why the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, to me, were that much enjoyable. Like, like the first one, it relies a lot on sight gags. And again, it's hard to have all these side gags when you don't really see a lot of the stuff. And, poor, and Ian Ziering really isn't that great of a, of a lead guy. And you can tell that they're trying to go with the whole Bruce Campbell, Army of Darkness thing. And they're pretty much ripping off that. And it, and it would have been cool to see them do something a little bit more original. And I feel very stupid for saying that for a Sharknado movie. But I think that would have been, uh, to me, uh, much more enjoyable and that much more, uh, uh, I guess, fun to watch and even laugh at. Because it's not, I mean, even if they were if they were going for a, like a direct spoof off that, they weren't. It was just more of like a lackluster, oh, hey, I have, I use a chainsaw and I have a, I have a, I have a table saw blade for, you know, my, my hand. And, yeah, with that, I just give this one one star. Beginning was okay, but it was the ending that was pretty entertaining. Uh, the rest of it was blah. I mean, to be honest, I, I caught the repeat of it on Sci-Fi, and it was the tweet Pete of the movie. And I think this might have had uh, something to do with uh, with with uh, why I didn't enjoy it so much because during the tweet Pete, fans of the movie can tweet in comments, and they will post those comments at the top of the screen and so you have this big twitter thing come up and you have people constantly saying things like sharknado 2 best movie in the world best movie i've ever seen sharknado hashtag sharknado 2 this movie is so intense hashtag sharknado 2 like constantly throughout the entire movie and it's like oh my god hopefully these people are just saying that just to goof around to see if their tweets will actually be put up you know on sci-fi or if they are actually being serious and they think this is the best thing that they have ever seen and uh yeah so just one star for me very very good then where do you want to turn sir stage right all of life's a song to sing so sing with all your heart i have to get dressed we can't do this now <laughs> Welcome to Limelight. I think about mom a lot. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. 
You actually want to compete with those theater geeks? Those kids aren't normal, Ken. Artie will be announcing this summer's Limelight production. Passing of the Opera! Your mother's role. She would be proud. What is at the heart of haunting? A love story about... It's about covering. Covering up who you really are. There has been an accident. Maybe there's somebody out there that really doesn't want him to put on this play. Cam, do you think this is connected to your mom? Isn't it wrong to sing and dance when someone just died? Camilla, where are you? There's a killer in the theater! Okay, Stage Fright 2014 Horror Musical. It's directed by Jerome Sable and uh, stars... Mini Driver, Meatloaf, and Allie McDonald. Um, this is a movie that I want to say tried to be like... Mm, oh, what was the... What was that really... Oh, good lord. It, it came... The... Scream. There you go. I want to say that this movie was trying to be like Scream meeting Chicago but really kind of comes <laughs> away being more like the being more like House of a Thousand Corpses combined with Down with Love <laughs> I didn't know Down with Love was so gay yeah it, well I mean it's just it's it, it's not good that it, it you can see what it was aspiring to do all the way through it. It's just, honestly, I think I've seen a better episode of Murder, She Wrote. I, I you know. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> seriously, a star and a half. I did not like, I mean, I didn't quite hate it, but I really, really didn't like it. So, one and a half stars. Yeah, I... I thought the there's too much of a contrast between the really gay camp setting and the really heavy metal like uh heavy metal um like Judas Priest sounding like evil bad guy that's like rocking and rolling and has you know the loud screeching kind of like jigsaw <laughs> puppet face mouth stuff yeah and I I really you know like in things that I liked about it I thought Meatloaf was pretty decent, you know, for the most part. I, I enjoyed... I like how it, it's obvious that they were trying to make a good musical, but it clashed. You know, it just didn't really pan out, especially when you have the, the super gay, or you have the, the campers, and then it'll cut to the the bad guy, the villain, the slasher killer guy in, in a basement. So it doesn't really tell you where the hell he's actually based out of. 
You know, and the movie really doesn't even turn into a slasher movie until the last like 15, 20 minutes of the movie. And when it when it does it, it it's actually pretty it's pretty decent. You know, like like the performances are pretty are really good. There's not really a bad performance. It's just the character caricatures are taken way too over the top. Yes, we know theater community is, there are there are there are a lot of gay guys in the theater community, but. There's only so much you can joke about that until it starts turning into a one-trick pony. You know, there's only so many jokes you can make about the the gay community within the theater community before it's like, okay, do you do you have anything else you can kind of pick apart or make fun of or you know to be you know funny about? And it's not only just the dialogue that does that; it's the it's the singing. I mean, there's a whole opening song. You know, when you first meet the campgoers, where they sing about how they love theater, and yes, you know, and, and they're gay, you know, that they're gay for theater, not necessarily gay for, you know, other reasons. And it's really, really funny, and that is definitely a high point for the uh, the musicality, the, the music of the movie. And it just kind of starts going stale after that. You know, Meatloaf is actually not bad in the movie. He's not bad. And again, the ending, when you find out who the killer is, yes, it's kind of stupid. And the reasoning is kind of stupid. But the performances are actually pretty impressive. So yeah, I mean, my biggest complaint is that the two different genres they're going for do not complement each other in in no way. I mean, they should have gone the Rocky Horror Picture Show route with that. I mean, it's not necessarily a horror movie, but it's definitely a fun and exciting musical. Uh, with this one, I, I give it 2.75 to 3 stars, leaning more towards 3 stars. I, I would recommend this one to some people. It definitely has good intentions, and yeah. Well, then that leaves us with The Trip to Italy, the 2014 follow-up to The Trip. Um, more or less picking up where they left off. Uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden play... Um, not hyper-realized, but definitely um, sardonic versions of themselves uh, for for this where the, for for this film where they or series because again it was a BBC series that they just put it all together and made a movie for it. And, and this time they're following the romantists, uh, the romantic poets poets grand tour of Italy and eating at some restaurants and you know having. More conversations, r- ruminations, and ruination of life and masculinity. Dave, it's Rob. Oh, hey. Listen, the Observer wants us to do more restaurant reviews. Really? But this time in Italy, and they'll fly you to Europe. Well, first class. It just feels odd doing something for a second time. They go and make another. Oh, it's okay, he's just doing an impersonation. This is the ideal place for a romantic evening. You know I'm not a homosexual, don't you? If romance should occur, we'll deal with it as it happens. Who plays you? Play myself. You could have Jude Law. He has an age like you and I. Well, he's balding. Yeah, but he's got that face, he doesn't. He's got that really young, bald look. You will one day lie on a slab. Yeah. Somebody else will dress you. Ah. With you, that will happen sometime before you actually die. Somebody else dressing you. That's fantastic. You know what make this perfect now? Michael Bublé. Where do you stand on Michael Bublé? His windpipe. It's funny, isn't it? When women that age just look straight through us, don't they? Non-threatening. The smile you get from them is the smile they give to a benevolent uncle. Ciao, buonasera. Buonasera. Or a pest. 
the small man in the box. This is a real man who died. I wonder if anyone cried for him. I can see the volcano erupting and I am petrified. People say, oh, she only slept with you because you're famous. I say, well, you only slept with you because you're good looking and young. One in the blue top looks like a younger me. He's like the best surgeon in the world. Yeah. He's been given a year with you. Thank you. How's it going? We were a bit lost. Go left, go left. Move, 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 move. All roads lead to Rome. Otherwise, we were on. We went around in circles. Do you, Michael Caine? I'm not going to bury another Batman. Another Batman? How many Batmans has he been burying? Let me tell you. That's just wonderful. You got a quiet taste. I don't think you can top it really with anything. Yeah. Some brown sauce on it. That's true. Grazie mille. Oh, it is too much going on. Come, Quart. It's time for us to go. <laughs> I was not that big of a fan of the trip. However, I was a super huge fan of the trip to Italy. Now, the differences here, are interestingly, are what people have been drawing people who had negative things to say about it are actually the things that I enjoyed the most. These people are now so comfortable in the characters that they have established that they are, that they've actually, that they're literally wearing them like a comfortable suit now. And you can see that as literal growth in these, even though they're fictionalized versions, you can still see that in the way that they interact and it's not it's no longer about the irritations and the idiosyncrasies uh it's about the nuance and the acceptance that they had because of the friendship that they maintain and it just allows for a much more natural banter this time around than it did in the first trip and I'm sorry, anybody who does not laugh at the Godfather scene or Michael Buble scene, please go check them on YouTube if you don't even want to watch the whole movie. You have black hearts of coal and ice if you cannot laugh at those because they're absolutely hilarious. So yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, it, 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 it gets a little stale by the end, but still overall... Um, beautiful vistas, amazing food, wonderful restaurants. So, I mean, you've you've constantly got this ambiance to go with you. So anytime you think you're going to get bored with what's happening, boom, new location. Uh, Again, things that just seem to work better in this one as opposed to the other one. I, you know, I don't know. Call me a convert, I guess. Uh, Four stars for me on this one. I really like this movie. And would highly recommend it. I, honestly, I could recommend this one as a standalone, uh, even as much, even as one who did not particularly enjoy the trip as much. So, four stars for me, sir. What 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 have you got to say? All right, I loved the trip. I recommended it uh, back in 2012 when we first reviewed it, uh, which is why also I recommended uh, that we should watch uh, this one this week. And I gotta say, if they were gonna make a sequel to a movie like The Trip, to where I'm sure a lot of people were like, well, why the hell would they do that? This would be the way to go, because unlike the first one, which they were playing more over-the-top versions of themselves, the more central character 
was Steve Coogan, and that one dealt with how kind of not I don't want like there was like a sense of loneliness there, where he was the lonely guy trying to find work, and you know he he was trying he was willing to be popular, you know he was wanting to be the, a popular movie star. He was kind of an arrogant prick in the first one. And then you have Rob Ryden, who is the goofy guy. Always, he always has a joke on hand. He always has an impersonation, an impression on hand to bust out at any moment. He can say any dialogue with that impression. And that made for some comedic gold. Uh, now, for me, from a movie that starts off at the beginning and goes to the end, I thought, to me, that one was the most enjoyable. That one had the most laughs. Uh, this one, however, is more focused on uh, Rob Ryden and his character. He's away from his wife. Uh, there, it's it's obvious that he is having some connection issues with his wife because he has a, a, a little baby girl and the wife is... She has a lot on her plate. And I guess she feels she has a little disdain for her husband since he's able to go off and, uh, and, and do movies and be away from the family. And I guess she feels that he doesn't have... Uh, have a connection with the family as as uh, as as maybe she does with uh, with her daughter, and, and so that kind of creates this depth with this character as he tries to talk to her, and she just hangs up the phone, and with that he ends up meeting a woman on the trip, and with that it brings up uh, the, a whole a whole bit about infidelity, and I'm not going to say if he falls into that. Or not, you'll just have to watch the movie. But it adds some great dimension. And Steve Coogan, he, uh, he, the, uh, his character, I guess, is is uh, trying to connect more with his son and dealing with uh, with issues with his son, and not necessarily with with popularity in movies. But then there's also a jealousy between the two, which Rob Ryden is uh, is going to be more of an actor. He's going to be more of an American household name like Steve Coogan. So that not only does that provide some great banter and excellent comedy, but it also adds depth to the movie. And this one definitely has more depth. This one definitely feels more of a movie than I guess a lot of like comedic scenes put together. But though this one is not as funny, it definitely has more, I guess what you you could say, uh, drama to it. Now, what I liked about the movie, they make these references to old films. They speak at length about old movies. Fellini's La Dolce Vita. They even talk about Roman Holiday, the Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn movie. And what was very interesting, what I thought about uh, their mentioning of La Dolce Vita, is that they say that not, not many people know this, but La Dolce Vita is really a movie about loneliness. It's supposed to show how lonely people are in Rome, you know, in, in, in Italy. And in a sense, that kind of mirrors the characters, that they are actually lonely. They're, they're living what, I don't want to say mundane lives, but they could be famous. It doesn't matter if Steve Coogan is the one who's famous and he's known, uh, more so known in America and in Europe, but Rob Ryden, he is known in the UK for sure. They're both equally in a way lonely you know they're both dealing with that and it's just very interesting to watch that connection and you really don't know that that there will be a connection like that until the movie hits you know the halfway mark into the last act of the movie when you realize that this movie actually does have depth you have to look for it you have to watch for it you have to really pay attention but this movie definitely has human depth to it 
really the only thing that I have to uh, uh, negative to say about the movie is that Rob, uh, because Rob Ryden is more of a, a central focus of the movie, you see a lot of his impersonations, and you kind of get a little tired of Al Pacino after he, listening to Al Pacino for a long time. But with saying that, you know, with him exercising or even over-exercising his impressions, that also adds to his character. You know, the reason why he is kind of being shunned away from his wife, why his wife is kind of pushing him away, because she doesn't want to listen to his goofy antics and things like that. And so that even that uh, offers depth. You know, the, the criticism that one would have with the movie, there could be a reason behind the madness, because these are, this uh, Michael Winterbottom is a fantastic director. Steve Coogan and Rob Ryden are both fantastic actors. And so I think it would be foolish to say that there isn't a reason to their madness, or there isn't a reason for Rob Ryden's madness, even if it is over-exhausting his impersonations. I give this one 4.25. I enjoyed, for the most part, the first one better, but this one added a very entertaining and fulfilling experience. So I, of course, recommend this one. Awesome. All right, very cool. Well, then, uh, let's see. The movies for next week are going to be The Congress, Gandhi, and Grey Owl. And I believe thus concludes another episode of the SLS cast. Are you ready for the spiel, sir? Spiel on. All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been provided to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. Once again, though, we, of course, are the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLS.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me on Twitter at NitTwit12345. You can also... Subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Jessica Simpson, I get to say this. I was in history class, and the teacher said, raise your hand if you know the continents. I raised my hand and said, A-E-I-O-U. And the teacher replied, those aren't even consonants, they're vowels. Did she really say that? She did. She she admitted that? Yes. <sighs> and this is Tim. <laughs> Until next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.